0: Welcome to the election ride home for Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, two new national polls show the race remaining about the same. Buttigieg takes advantage of absent senators in campaigning in Iowa, reviewing the rules for the next Democratic candidate debate, the latest impeachment update as the Senate trial commences, and Tulsi Gabbard sues Hillary Clinton over podcast comments. It is 12 days until the Iowa caucuses and 285 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. In the run-up to the Iowa caucuses, let's look at two polls fresh out of the oven this morning from SSRS for CNN and by Monmouth University. There's nothing terribly surprising. SSRS's poll showed Senator Bernie Sanders at 27% nationally, followed by former Vice President Joe Biden at 24%, the first time Sanders has topped Biden in a credible national poll. However, given the margin of error is plus or minus 3.4%, the significance should not be overplayed. Besides that, SSRS showed a fairly static race. Senator Elizabeth Warren received 14% of support, former Mayor Pete Buttigieg 11%, billionaire Mike Bloomberg 5%, Senator Amy Klobuchar 4%, and entrepreneur Andrew Yang 4%. The other billionaire, Tom Steyer, received 2%. 500 people were polled who were all registered voters likely to vote Democratic. Sanders has surged significantly in this poll since last August, growing from 15% to 27%, with only increases recorded. Biden has stayed mostly within the margin of error of his current polling over that time, as has Warren. Buttigieg went from 5% to 11% in fits and starts. Sanders' increased support seems largely to draw from other candidates dropping out, notably Texas politician Beto O'Rourke and Senator Kamala Harris. Monmouth University's latest poll showed steady support for Biden, with him weighing in at 30%, while Sanders has grown from numbers in the teens as recently as September to hit 23% in this poll. However, the devil is in the margin of error. Monmouth spoke with 372 Democratic or leaning Democratic voters, and the poll has a massive 5.1% margin of error. Warren scored 14% half her polling by the same organization in September, while Bloomberg had a whopping 9%. Buttigieg got 6% of support, Klobuchar 5% Yang, 3% other candidates are at 1% or less. The director of the Monmouth University Polling Institute, Patrick Murray, said in a statement, With the exception of Bloomberg's entry, this race looks pretty much like it did six months ago, but that stability masks the potential for sizable swings once the first contests are held. Iowa and New Hampshire will play a major role in shaping national voter preferences, end quote. And a majority of Democrats polled, or 56 percent, said Iowa and New Hampshire have too much influence. As much as Biden hasn't yet won the nomination race, the numbers are coming in pretty consistently. Real Clear Politics notes that the polling leader as of January 17th in 2008, 2012, and 2016, among parties without an incumbent, ultimately won the nomination. Except for former Secretary of State and Senator Hillary Clinton in 2008 when Senator Barack Obama got the nod. Upsets still happen. One thing to watch out for will be the next major candidate to drop out. If Klobuchar exits after Iowa or New Hampshire, she has significant enough numbers that if her supporters move largely to one other candidate, it could change the race. However, even though Klobuchar lags far behind the top four polling candidates in fundraising, she just received the New York Times co-endorsement and doesn't give any indication she's giving up anytime soon. Ahead of the Iowa voting in just under two weeks, three of the five leading candidates are locked into the Senate trial. It may last as long or past the Iowa caucuses, or it could come to an abrupt halt on January 31st, as I'll explain later in the podcast. That's Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren carrying out their constitutionally mandated duty in D.C. right now. The currently unemployed Buttigieg and Biden have the luxury to traverse Iowa to try to bolster their positions. Biden, jockeying for or perhaps already at the top, can solidify voter support through the kind of personal retail politics he's proven great at. Buttigieg needs to find more support. While his campaign isn't in trouble as such, he's got to find a way to break out for being number four and soon to have a chance at amassing substantial delegates on the road to the DNC convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in mid-July. The New York Times reports on Buttigieg's efforts and notes that he seems to be focusing on Iowa counties that voted in the majority for Obama in 2012 and Trump in 2016. Buttigieg has also engaged in some very careful on-the-ground organizing that could pay a huge dividend because of how the Iowa caucuses allot delegates. As Chris and I have mentioned maybe too many times, a candidate must receive at least 15% of support in each of the many thousands of caucuses, score less, and supporters must shift their votes to another viable candidate. The New York Times notes, large numbers of Iowans traditionally break for a candidate in the last week. This year, with four candidates knotted up at the top, many voters are not expected to decide until caucus night. The Buttigieg campaign's ground game is designed to present undecided caucus goers who enter their precincts with tightly knit cells of Buttigieg supporters. The campaign's National Caucus director, Travis Brock, has toured the state training more than 1,000 people to assume leadership roles in their precincts. End quote. Of course, his campaign isn't the only one to know the ground game in Iowa. Biden has competed several times in Iowa. He ran for president in 1984, 1988, and 2008. Sanders ran in 2016 and received roughly half the votes and just under half the delegates. This is Warren and Klobuchar's first passes for president. By the way, the Democratic National Committee released its criteria on Friday, January 17th for the 8th presidential debate, which takes place February 7th in New Hampshire, ahead of the February 11th primaries in that state. You may have missed this release. I know I did. Uh, Both of the polls I just mentioned meet the Democratic National Committee's criteria for one of the measures to qualify for debates. The DNC only wants the most viable candidates on stage at this point, but they haven't changed the requirements so much that it will exclude anyone, I believe, from the previous debate. I'd be surprised if we saw a different lineup at all. As a reminder, that was Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, Warren, and Steyer. A candidate can get a slot in one of two ways. The first is straightforward. They need at least one pledged delegate from Iowa to the DNC convention. As I explained yesterday, the caucuses result in a huge number of delegates who then assemble across three subsequent state conventions to winnow down to just the 44 who head to the national convention. But it's possible to calculate the allocation based on the caucuses. So if you don't have a delegate, you're not out of the running. The second qualifying method has polling and grassroots contribution thresholds, the same as last time. So as a reminder, for polling, one option is 5% or more from four different national qualified sources or in the three remaining early voting states after Iowa. That's New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. No two polls can be from the same source nationally, but the same pollster can be counted across different geographic regions. That means if a candidate gets 5% nationally from a CNN poll and 5% in New Hampshire from CNN, that counts as two polls. The other polling option is 7% or more in state polls in New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. That can be two polls in one state from different sources or polls in different states. The other threshold is grassroots fundraising. That remains 225,000 unique donors, including at least 1,000 donors from 20 different states plus the District of Columbia and U.S. territories. That's to prevent a candidate popular in one state or region from meeting the threshold without demonstrating broader support. So how do we know who's going to qualify for the next debate? Well, the polls have to be conducted between December 13th, 2019 and February 6th, 2020. According to records at Real Clear Politics, Klobuchar has already met polling thresholds for the eighth debate with 7% in two qualifying Iowa polls. She's also at 5% or higher in three national polls. She's met the donor bar already too as she had to for the previous debate. You may recall from the seventh debate that Steyer qualified at the last minute by flooding political advertising into South Carolina and Nevada, effectively buying his way onto the stage. Those polls applied for last time and they were late enough that they also qualify him for this debate. He's already raised money from plenty of donors. While fellow billionaire Mike Bloomberg is spending like mad and seeing some benefit from that in the polls, he has opted out of campaigning in the first four states. He's focused on Super Tuesday, which is March 3rd. Bloomberg is also refusing campaign contributions. Entrepreneur Andrew Yang is seemingly the only other potential candidate to meet the DNC's thresholds. While he appears extremely unlikely to get any national delegates in Iowa, a small bump in enough national or state polls might give him the necessary total. He has already met the grassroots donor target. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. This is not surgery. It's not Botox. It is a clear solution for your problem areas. And I know we all have a few of those. Plexiderm offers you smooth, younger looking skin in minutes. It goes on clear so nobody knows you're using it. Again, that is a big difference if you've ever looked at surgical stuff for wrinkles and the areas around your eyes. That's where people look, and that's why you're better off with all-natural Plexiderm. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional 10% off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use code VOICES at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, let's talk about the state of the impeachment. The trial formally opened today at 1 p.m. Eastern after a late night for old dudes. To recap, the Senate has to conduct a trial based on rules it establishes with the thinnest of guidance from the Constitution. Because Republicans have a 53 to 47 majority over the Democratic caucus and hold the vice presidency, four GOP senators have to cross the line to vote with all Democrats and independents who caucus with them to get a 51 to 49 majority to block GOP initiatives or pass Democratic ones. As a result, Tuesday's session, which included remarks from the House impeachment managers and the President's personal counsel and White House counsel, revolved largely around a series of discussions and votes on witnesses and subpoenas, all of which were defeated. One proposal by Minority Leader Chuck Schumer would have devolved the decisions on testimony to Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts Jr., who, by constitutional authority, is the presiding officer of the trial. That failed. Maine Senator Susan Collins, a Republican and the most unpopular senator in the United States among state constituents, voted once with the Democrats on a logistics issue. The House impeachment managers wanted more time to be able to respond to motions filed by the president's legal team. Both sides have to file by 9 a.m., then opposing sides file by 11 a.m. The Democratic proposal would have extended the rebuttal time to a day, at least for today's filings. It failed 48 to 52. Schumer pushed vote after vote to put Republicans on the record, specifically denying requests for subpoenas for individual witnesses, such as White House chief of staff and head of the Office of Management and the Budget, among other jobs, Mick Mulvaney, and for documents withheld by the State Department and White House. At one point, McConnell and Schumer huddled over whether Schumer would agree to bundle all the requests into a single vote, but McConnell obviously didn't meet whatever terms the minority leaders set and votes went on for several more hours. Collins and at least one other senator rightly claim responsibility for modifications to the rules that were finally passed in the wee hours this morning. But it's still unclear after opening arguments and senators' time to ask questions whether Collins and up to five other senators would then vote in sufficient numbers to call other witnesses. All right. so how long is this whole thing going to last? The current schedule is three days to present 24 hours of opening statements by each side. Neither side has to take the full time allotted. Under the ostensible current six-day-a-week schedule, that means statements would conclude as late as January 28th. At that point, Senators will have 16 hours to have written questions answered, conceivably another two days. Senators have to submit the questions in writing, and Chief Justice Roberts reviews them. Then, possibly on January 31st, there's a four-hour debate over motions for witnesses and documents. If the GOP defeats those, a final vote can happen quickly and the whole shebang can be over on that day. But if GOP senators join Dems at this stage, which isn't impossible, the trial could extend quite a bit further, as new witnesses have to be deposed. After the depositions are complete, the Senate then votes on how to dispose of the testimony, which could include having witnesses appear in the Senate. This morning, when things got underway, the president's legal team chose not to file a request to dismiss the charges. The president had said that's what he wanted, so why didn't it happen? because Republican senators have said they want the process to play out and vote against the articles, scoring something more akin to an acquittal. Nevertheless, impeachment remains separate from the Senate trial. Trump cannot be unimpeached. So, House member Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii remains in the Democratic primary race, and you've heard about her recently because she emerged as the Marianne Williamson of trying to intervene slightly in the kerfuffle between Sanders and Warren. Today, she filed a lawsuit alleging that Hillary Clinton accused her on a podcast of being a Russian spy and asking for substantial damages. Now, this is a bit of a sideshow. Gabbard is not going to get the Democratic nomination, Clinton is a retired politician, who everyone uses as a punching bag because she chooses to continue speaking her mind. They are effectively two private individuals in the context of this lawsuit. But I think it's worth listening to Clinton's precise words from a podcast in October because she has predicted so much in politics and was specific about the dangers that many people feel Donald Trump fulfilled in violating norms and democratic processes. She had something particular to say about Russian influence and third-party candidates. They're also going to do third-party again. And I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic (laughs) primary Mm -hmm. and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. Mm -hmm. She's the favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her Mm -hmm. so far. And that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not because she's also a Russian uh, asset. yeah. Yeah, she's a Russian asset. I mean, totally. And so They know they can't win without a third-party candidate. And so I don't know who it's going to be, but I will guarantee you they'll have a vigorous third-party challenge in the key states that they most needed. Votes for Jill Stein exceeded the margin of victory Clinton would have needed to carry a few key states for an electoral college victory. A photo of Stein at a dinner hosted by Russian TV network RT – showed her sitting near Vladimir Putin, and a Senate Intelligence Committee report said Russian social media efforts included drumming up support for Stein among voters. However, there's absolutely no public evidence that links Stein herself to Russia or its efforts. Her candidacy seemed to be a convenient one for the Russians to promote. The same could happen if Gabbard runs as a third-party candidate. Gabbard, like other Democratic candidates, had to sign a pledge with the DNC to commit to supporting the eventual winning nominee. However, I'm not clear how binding that would turn out to be. I have my doubts that the DNC could sue her to prevent her launching an independent campaign because of the First Amendment's protections for political speech. I am neither a lawyer nor a constitutional expert, but this seems straightforward. After Clinton's comments were reported on, Gabbard tweeted on October 18th of last year, "Quote: Thank you, Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption, and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain, and tweet. You have to admit that is some pretty good rhetoric. Her political stance on war as a U.S. military veteran who served in Iraq is all over the map. Here's how Vox described her in an article in October. Gabbard's bizarre counter-allegations of a Clinton conspiracy reflect the way in which her nominally anti-war politics are actually a kind of pro-authoritarian, conspiratorial worldview, particularly on Syria, an issue at the top of the political agenda right now. Her approach has a handful of fans on the party's left flank, but has really found its base on the pro-Trump right, real-life proof the horseshoe theory of the political spectrum as actual merit, end quote. A Clinton spokesperson said after the initial back and forth that Clinton meant the Republicans were grooming Gabbard as a third-party spoiler. States have a variety of requirements for appearing as a presidential candidate on a ballot unless you are the member of a party that has already met certain thresholds to appear. It typically requires a certain number of signatures and has to be carried out months ahead of the general election. That means any potential third-party candidate likely to obtain significant votes should appear soon. Around 7 million people voted for candidates other than Clinton and Trump in 2016. This election doesn't yet appear to be shaping up the same way, but it's still only January. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com Election Ride Home. Find this and other fine Ride Home podcasts at ridehome.info. You can also find me on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G L E N N F like Frank. If you like printing history like I do, check out my Tiny Type Museum project at TinyTypeMuseum.com. I'll be back tomorrow for the next update, and I will be out on Friday, so there will be a gap until Monday. Thanks for listening, and have a pleasant night. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.